Well, hello. Welcome back to Between the Lines, the podcast. I'm Jay Lind, and I'll be your host. I'd like to share just one piece of exciting news before we get started today. And that news is that the podcast is now available on Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where we have made our home right from the start. So, welcome to any new listeners on those platforms. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast after you give it a chance. It really does help. While I'm at it, how about some quick shout-outs to three cities that recently joined the listening audience. What's up, Charlotte, Vermont? That sounds like a place that I should visit. Welcome aboard Athens, Georgia, and hey there, Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Thanks for listening. I hope y'all keep coming back. This is episode 23 of the podcast, so I figured today would be as good a day as any to invite to the show the only 23 that matters to me is Ernest, the GOAT, Michael Jordan. But alas, MJ did not respond to any of my inquiries, so I asked my old friend Mo instead. He's relatively tall, and like Mike, he's an outstanding golfer. But he hasn't scored a single point in the NBA, as far as I know. Regardless, I'm very excited to have Mo on the podcast today. And I don't think any of you will be disappointed either. But before we get to that, this is the good news. The good news is brought to you by OnStage. OnStage is a theater outreach and audience development program in colleges in and around Minneapolis-St. Paul. OnStage uses teaching artists to facilitate in-class discussions, courageous conversations, if you will, about relevant social, political, and cultural topics that sometimes bubble up in plays currently running in local theaters. What an incredibly worthwhile mission. To learn more about it or to make a donation to the cause, Check them out at onstagemn.org. That's onstagemn.org. Tell them Jay sent you. It won't make a difference, but it will make me feel special. The good news story this week comes from Kingston, New York, via the Mid-Hudson News. The city of Kingston has launched a mobile mental health pilot program. The program pairs a mental health care specialist with a Kingston Fire Department emergency medical technician to staff a mobile response unit. The team has a dedicated ambulance and will provide person-centric crisis response to mental health emergency calls. Please let this be a sign of things to come. Imagine, just imagine if there could be a social worker on every ambulance. Lead the way, Kingston. That was the good news. Now let's get to the interview already. So, as I already mentioned, uh, my guest today is Mo, who I first met about 35 years ago. Back then, Mo was one of my brother's closest friends, and Mo's younger brother happened to be a good friend of mine. Isn't that cute? Uh, and, I, <laughs> and I know for a fact 
that uh, my mom and dad were also big fans of Mo and his little brother, who's definitely not going to be happy that I just referred to him as little. But uh, I'm not scared of him anyway. Uh, anyway, those two handsome young brothers sometimes felt almost like an extension of my family. Uh, there was even a year or two, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, Mo was kind of a mainstay at our family dinners, even when my brother wasn't there. And I, for one, always enjoyed the change of pace when Mo would show up, somehow uh, almost always right around dinner time. Sadly, though, I've only run into Mo maybe two or three times over the last 25 years. But a little birdie recently let me know that Mo has been cursed with the same relentless disease that I have psoriasis i'm just kidding uh <laughs> drug addiction and uh after a little scrap with rock bottom about uh or more than 500 days ago mo took the necessary steps uh probably about 12 of them uh to transition gracefully into retirement from his long and illustrious career as an abuser of drugs and alcohol and upon hearing this most delightful news i almost immediately reached out to see if Mo would be interested in joining me on the podcast to tell his story. Or maybe not the whole story. Uh, big chunks of it are probably a bit much for some of my more squeamish listeners. Um, keep in mind, Mo, that my mom's listening. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, messing right. on, but without further ado, let me introduce you to Mo. Welcome to the podcast, Mo. How are you feeling today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing really well. Uh, yeah, 518 days today. All right. And tomorrow's your birthday, right? Yeah, tomorrow was my big birthday, uh, second birthday sober, yeah. That's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. Um, all right. Well, let's just jump right into the beginning of your story. Um, when you started drinking, what was your, where, how did it get introduced to you? Drinking, drugs, whatever. What was your beginning? What was your origin story? Uh, well, I, like most teenagers could not wait to drink um you know you grow up and you see your parents doing it and uh I remember no matter whose house we were going to whether it's my grandparents or friends or any family the first words I heard that were spoken to my dad or my mom or dad and mom were hey what do you want to drink mm -hmm. and uh it was just the beginning of a, a fun you know it didn't have to be a holiday. It was whatever day it was. It's just that's how every night out at a, someone's house for dinner was. And uh, I never consciously thought to myself, oh, I can't wait till I could have a drink when I get to someone's house. But that was obviously the seed that gets planted, which is kind of what our society is. That's what we have in the society. Drinking's a part of any celebration, you know. Yeah. And, you know, but uh, then, you know, you become a teenager you get into high school and you see all your peers and you see the when you're a freshman you see all the juniors and seniors drinking or talking about drinking or talking about the parties they went to over the weekend you know you you can't wait and uh I was one of those kids when I was younger I'm like oh I'm never gonna drink I'm never gonna do drugs uh I was an athlete so I wanted to you know be healthy and at least that's what I look back at now as a kid, that's just what I felt. But then I remember the first time I drank, um, we drank JB scotch mixed with orange juice. Mm. And it's like the grossest freaking <laughs> drink you could come up with. It yeah, tasted yeah. awful. Um, I think I was 14 or 15 
um, in the basement of my buddy's house. His parents were out. And uh, not long after we started drinking, I was in the backyard with my head between my knees, puking mm -hmm. into the grass. And I was so fucked up and drunk that I called my mom and said, can you come pick me up? <laughs> and And she did. And I'm puking out the window as we drive home the, the mile and a half or so right. to the house. Right. She's told me now how she was so happy. She thought, yeah. oh, great. He's not going to want to drink now. He's never going to drink again. And I fucking woke up the next day going, all right, I got to get it. better at this. <laughs> yeah. I got I to learn how to do this so that doesn't happen again. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then that all through high school, you know, you drink every Friday and Saturday. And then by junior year, you're drinking Thursdays, too. I On Thursday nights, I had everyone over to my house. Um, I think it was the night the TV show Cheers was on. Yeah, we do the same thing. Me and my buddies would do. We'd have Cheers and beers on Thursday nights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my parents were at bowling league, so they would go bowling. Awesome. And after about you know five or eight weeks of doing it we all got carried away and lost track of time and then my parents were pulling <laughs> in the driveway and i went running from the kitchen through all the rooms yelling at everybody all right buddy leave and i ran out the front door and jumped in the car with somebody and left okay oh, uh, went back to the house you know like an hour later and like my parents were strict and that the you can't drink or you're going to be grounded for drinking. It was more, they knew we were going to drink. They tried to, to teach us how or to be responsible. Right. And right. when I, the first time I was hung over, probably that day after I was puking between my knees, my dad woke me up at seven o'clock. He's like, you, ain't, you know, you don't get to sleep. If you're going to play, you're going to pay. Yeah. And it was get up, do chores. There's no, there's no like complaining. I can't do this because I'm hungover shit. So that that lasted throughout my whole entire drinking career. I never missed a day at work. I never oh. didn't get up to do something because I had been drinking. Uh, just that wasn't allowed in my family. So yeah. I was. I well, turned into. I remember my dad was similar. Like uh, when he started, you know, they started. You know, they were on to me in high school. And, uh, you know, I'd come home late. They'd figure it out, obviously. And then, you know, he'd get me up right away in the morning. Both of them, my mom, too. My mom, one time, bring the dog in at, like, 6 o'clock. goes, take him for a walk. I'm like, uh, okay. And she's like, for an hour, right? <laughs> uh, and then my dad, I, I worked at the board of trade with my dad in the summer. And uh, oh, he used to love getting me up at, like, 6 o'clock and making me go to work. Uh, no, no, I'm sick. He's like, you're not sick. Like everyone else at the board of trade is feeling just like you. <laughs> <laughs> they might as well get down there. Uh, but I, I wish I could say I never missed a day of work though. From, uh, yeah. from the drinking, you, you're, uh, you're, you're a champ for making that happen. That's, that's not easy. Yeah, it's not. And I, I definitely had days where I was sick. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't puke a lot from drinking. I don't know if it's the Welsh blood in me or what, but <laughs> Um, it didn't either. I didn't drink enough, or I, I didn't. It just didn't make me sick, like throwing up sick. I mean, I think I learned that first day, and then there were times, obviously, where sure. if you mixed too many liquors or didn't eat yeah. at all or whatever. But I was a chef. Yeah, I, mean, I started my first chef job when I was twenty-four, and 
there were times on the line cooking with the garbage <laughs> fucking bin right next to me, puking into the garbage while I'm making somebody's fucking dinner, man. It that's right. not that used to be a fun story to tell, but now I'm it, it just it sickens me to have to tell yeah. that out loud. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it makes me not want to go out to eat, but um, <laughs> the, the restaurant. Kitchen. The restaurant business is rife with alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah. And the, the, the alcohol's right there and you drink every day. I mean, there's a thing called a shift drink for a reason. Everybody gets a drink at the end of the shift and it doesn't stop with one. Right. It's, you have 10 and then you go out drinking somewhere else after that. Right. And a lot of times you're not starting work in the morning anyway. So, yeah, it's like a yeah. whole, the cycle for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so... That's, you know, get you, get you through that kind of high school. Uh, do you, did you feel like in high school, did you think back then, uh, if you can remember that far back, um, how you felt? Did you feel like you liked it more than, than your friends or the other kids? Or do you feel like you were like right on the same page with, you know, with people you were hanging out with? To me, it seemed like I was doing what everybody was doing. It didn't feel like I drank more at all i i thought people were drinking more than i was i had that you know fomo fear of missing yeah. out thing all yeah. the time where you know i felt like i was missing out on parties and people were drinking all the time i mean there were some people that would bring drinks like in a 7-eleven big gulp they'd have a vodka big gulp with them and shit but i didn't see that i found that out long after high school but in high school, it really was just the weekends for me, not because I wanted to study. I, I wasn't full blown like I need to drink every night. I, yeah. I thought even throughout my whole career, I, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I didn't want to drink too much. Mm -hmm. So like even like at the end of my drinking career, I wasn't a, I've never been a drinker that got up and started drinking right away. I didn't, I didn't need a pint to get going or to function for the day. I mean, I did a ton of day drinking. I mean, it, that's, but nothing unusual, you know, I, yeah. it wasn't the every day, all day thing. So, yeah, I think that's a common like misconception of people. Like they imagine like if you're not drinking in the morning, you're not an alcoholic Like it, or they think of the AA meeting is like just full of guys who, uh, who have to drink all day or they get the, you know, the, you know, they're going in withdrawals or they have to wake up right away and get a pint. Like you said, um, there's a lot of different kinds of uh, alcoholism and addiction. And uh, the truth is, I think that that kind is pretty rare where you have to wake up and drink like that. That's like a yeah. stage kind of thing that it doesn't mean. I think that a lot of people kind of make get that as an excuse for themselves. Like, I'm good. It buys them another like 10 years of drinking because they go, I don't drink in the morning. Yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, because you're not because that's you know that's the image you got in your head i guess but uh yeah obviously there's uh you can you can cause a whole lot of problems uh even if you don't start drinking until after work yeah and i knew I, I eventually got to the point where i knew i was an alcoholic and i was drinking more than the average person but that was like you know college came and then i could drink every day because that my parents weren't there to frown on it Right. And, you know, college, I went to Madison, Wisconsin, which was like the professional drinking school in the nation. Yeah, me too. And, uh, well, and I think that uh, uh, we we came from like the two, like the Oak Park's like the, the good training ground for that. I mean, yeah, OPRF and like that. I think when I got to, to Madison, I thought oh, everyone's been drinking like like we had. 
but a lot of them hadn't been. <laughs> That's not how all. <laughs> uh, and then, then you're in Wisconsin, where she's uh, yeah, it's like uh, they do have they have beer for breakfast just cause. You know, when you're in college, you know, I joined a fraternity reluctantly because I didn't live in a dorm, so I didn't have that those a lot of people living together atmosphere in my freshman year i'd moved into an apartment with my sister right and her friend you know i got I joined a fraternity just because it was convenient and there was a bar room with beer on tap and yeah. uh when you're in a fraternity or any probably in more scenarios just than that but there's always a reason to drink it's always somebody's birthday or yeah. it's always somebody just finished a test or <laughs> someone was always saying hey who wants to go to the fucking bar right yeah uh, i never said no because i think that came from high school the fear of missing out i never you know i didn't yeah. i wasn't an a student but i i did i got decent grades b's and mostly b's and a c's because i never tried but yeah that kind of was a bad thing too because i didn't have to really try i could drink every night and still make it through and uh yeah that that's like the that's so similar to to my experience uh in, in high school and college i think that was a um like a part of what made it easier for me to to act like i did is because i i didn't ha- I, I i could get b's and c's or b's c's and a's without trying very hard uh yeah. You know, I, I feel like now it's a lot harder. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it with the way I was uh, living my life back then. But yeah, and so then you don't, you don't feel like I don't. There weren't many consequences. Like I still got the decent grades, and uh, and and when you're young, you can you can get up and go. You know, the hangovers aren't so bad. Um, you know, and you're just excited. You're like you said, you're away from your from your parents for the first time, doing whatever you want, and no one's watching over you. So like, you can't wait to get up and get going. I, I'm not a big public speaker. I don't like the center of attention. I'm a wallflower when it comes to parties. I like to lean against the wall and watch. And, you know, I was an English major, so it kind of filtered into my writing and my fictional writing. And I had I, I decided to take a class it's called speech writing, and we had to do speeches. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do terrible in this class. I suck at this. The first speech I had to give, I was so worked up. I had so much adrenaline going. My face turned beet red and I was sweating so much. My glasses were fogging up. (laughs) So then I decided from then on, I'm going to have a few drinks every time before I do a speech. And I I got an A in that class and it was all because of my drinking. And that, that also fed the addiction. It just made me drink more because, all right, I'm a better student. I I'm better at speaking. I'm funnier. You know, you get into that misconception that makes you a better person, you know? Yeah. And and unfortunately, I mean, the, the, the thing is maybe in that one scenario, like storytelling, right? So the Irish guys, they're pretty good at telling stories and speaking in front of a, a group, you know, uh, drinking a couple of beers and telling a story in front of people or, you know, giving a speech, you know, that might be the one case where, you know, maybe it does help you out a little bit. It's like the biggest fear of everyone has of public speaking. Um, but it, uh, I can tell you, it's not very good at, in, with the other classes. <laughs> no, it does, it does not help. No, but it also, that everybody, like you said, like, you know, there's, 
you're not you weren't the only one doing that you know like there were half the oh, people yeah. in the in, in my college classes were, were drunk or high or whatever um which makes you feel like like it's normal too um yeah which you know it's only it was normal in that moment but not uh, not in the real world um and the reason i asked you about that that earlier question about like did you feel different at the time um you know, mostly my drug of choice is cocaine. You know, I drank, I mean, so far your story sounds pretty similar to mine. Um, but in the end it was, it was cocaine. That was, that was my, my demise, I guess. Um, but people like the real, like a lot of the alcoholics I've met in rehab and in AA meetings and doing this, they, they really have this, a lot of them have a similar story of that first time, the first time they drank or the first like, you know, few months where they drank, they could tell right away. Oh man, I like this more than everybody else. Like I, this is this is like the this is like the answer to every all my problems. Um, but it sounds like you had it. You didn't have that that experience. You did have the uh, challenge to get better at it. Yeah, <laughs> like it. an athlete, you know, like an athlete. Yeah. I wanted to get better at drinking and be the best at it. Yeah. Um, I I never liked the taste of it. Obviously, starting with scotch and orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> I never drank because it tasted good and yeah. I rarely drank and ate at the same time throughout my whole career if I was drinking I was drinking it definitely got to drinking was to get drunk that was Wait. it yeah it was you I didn't did want a beer with my I don't want a beer with my food I drinking was to get drunk it was yeah. never about the flavor of it it was definitely about the feeling of being drunk and feeling either funnier or calmer or you know more more courageous you know the fucking liquid courage and all yeah, that like the social anxiety you know you can yeah. talk to anybody now here's a um you know another thing that i think that you know you we're, we'll get to aa in a minute but a lot of a lot of what you've been doing over these 500 plus days is been doing uh working the steps and going to aa and, uh, a lot of those stories start with well you know my great grandpa my grandpa my uncle it's in, it's all in my family. Is this something ran in your family as well? Like, you know, I got a little bit here and there on both sides of my family, but I was, I don't think it was like a direct um, line, you know, but do, do you have a, were there other people in your family that you've looked at and seen kind of going down the same path? Yeah, definitely. And to my surprise, I thought all my alcoholism came from my dad's side of the family. Um, my dad was an alcoholic you know, high functioning. Like I said, he never missed a day of work. <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah, I remember he'd come home and sit in his underwear in that chair. Yeah, he'd sit there and he'd, <laughs> pa he'd pass out in front of the TV. It'd be only like eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I get why he did it. It was he wasn't happy he did it, but it was a relief for him. It was, an, you know, an escape from the, you know, if he wanted to be so much more in life than just what he was. And right. Um, that's a lot of what I got into, whether I learned it from him or it came genetically, but my sponsor is my uncle, who's my mom's brother. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He quit drinking like seven or eight years ago. Um, and I didn't look for him to be my sponsor. He didn't offer to, he just kind of became that he'd be kind right. of, I just like having going through what I'm going through or in the beginning, you know, first 30 or 60 and 90 days, I just took a lot of comfort in calling him and talking to him about it. And he's super smart and he's super happy to be sober. And he had such great things to share and talk with me about that. That's who became, he became my sponsor because of that. 
that's you know at least half of what what AA has been for me and was for me in the beginning, especially is just to talking to somebody who 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 gets it, who, who's been there, but they're a little heavy, yeah. and they can and and you can see uh, oh it works. Look at this guy's happy, uh, yeah. and they're so like giddy about helping you too. You know, like yeah, they, they know how bad you feel in that moment. You know, and uh, and they want to help take it away because uh, you know that's you know obviously that helps them feel better too. But yeah, just just having that time with somebody because you know you're, you're you know people who who don't have the same thing here, they don't get you know it, it's hard to you know as much as they care about you, they don't really get it. it it's it's a bizarre thing, and you know it's uh it was humbling obviously, but it was so nice to feel like embraced and taken care of by someone yeah. who cares so much, you know and. You know, like everybody else too like the more i shared the fact that i was quitting drinking and i was gonna be sober the more i heard of how proud everybody was and how they're like how do you do it man it's so great that you're doing that you're like there's no way like i got home from work the other day and you know a thousand horses couldn't have kept me from having 10 fucking beers and right shit. like you know you hear that and you know that spurred me on um but at the same time I was lucky. It it came at a time where I had to quit because I'd gotten a DUI, but I'd been fighting and trying to control my drinking for like eight or 10 years and I wasn't able to. And this, it was the kicker. It was the finally, the, the moment where I said to myself, you know, you got to quit because you, you're going to die. You're either going to, your liver's going to give out on you. You're going to crash into a tree mm -hmm. or you're going to kill somebody. And then you're going to, you're going to want to kill yourself because you're going to hurt somebody else. And it, it was the final thing that pushed me over and said, you know what, you got to really change and yeah. you just have to. And it worked, but you know, the, the, I think that the message there is that you, you needed uh, something because all by all on your own, uh, it wasn't working. That's it, years of doing it, you know, of yeah. trying on your own and uh, we just can't do it by ourselves. I was really trying to control my drinking, you know, like when you're in AA, they tell you, all right, if you don't think you're ready, go out and do some more research. More research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was doing it without going to AA and it just, it wouldn't work. Like I said, I would have like a night of drinking one beer and then eating a nice dinner and going to bed. And the next day I'd have twice as many as I usually did. And yeah. it, it just, I just, it, it, something had to get me there and that I, I hate that that's what it was i hated that i had to get a dui to quit it was my second dui in three years it, i had to or else i was going to go to jail and i was doing yeah. everything i can to keep from having to go to jail i ended up having to do days in jail 60 days but um i got work release which is pretty soft as far as yeah. jail i could i could leave at six in the morning and go to work and then be back at 6 p.m. and I had to sleep there and that's the thing is you know this disease will take everything away from you, everything from their jobs to their marriages to their houses to cars like they get everything taken away I mean the little mess that you made by making a mistake turns into a giant mess yeah and absolutely. I was really lucky that my life didn't get to, into more of a mess. I, it was a lot of effort for me and a lot of gratitude to the people that were helping me not let it get any messier. But they wanted to believe it. I think there, I think there's two ways of thinking about that. I think that that 
you that maybe subconsciously you're being open about it one because we know that if we say it out loud it's more likely we're going to do it right so if we're just doing it by ourselves and nobody knows then we can uh give up on it and just start drinking again but if you tell everybody that that's what's going on then you're, you're some of them, someone might hold you accountable and and two yeah it is like um I think for me, I guess I just speak for myself, but I wanted to be open about it. And part of why I, I'm doing this too is because I was hiding so much for so long, you know? So you're doing this stuff and, and I know that you, like, you know, you spent, you told me you spent, you know, the last years of it drinking by yourself a lot of the time too. And uh, it just feels like, and you know, you're sick, but you're not telling anybody. Uh, yeah. And then that, that freedom of the relief of the, of the secrets being gone makes me just want to tell everybody everything. Obviously, uh, you know, that, that's probably not a great way to live your life all the time. But, uh, I was so, the, the secrets were killing me and, and to have a secret life. I'm an honest person. You know, I'm a good, honest person with, uh, with integrity and I was hiding everything from everybody. And that feels terrible. So now, like anything, you know, I'm an overshare, if, if nothing else, because I don't want to feel that way anymore either. And yep. the big thing that you said is that you got all this great, support um and i know that's not true in everybody's circle right not every workplace is going to act like that not every family is going to respond that way but in general in my seven years in, in recovery and rehabs and, and meetings and um talking to lots of addicts and alcoholics um for the most part they are uh absolutely embraced and supported and encouraged at least in a personal level like people who know you um, they knew, they also knew that you were, you weren't yourself, you know, and they, yeah. and they want you to be he healthy. And there's a lot of people who, who don't come clean to their families or people because, uh, they're worried that they're going to be judged in, in general. Um, in my experience and it sounds like in yours, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're given love and shown love in, the, in those moments and that, God, that helps. It was, it was huge. And, um, it's, it's something I definitely realized that everybody knew I drank too much. Like even the people I drank with, yeah. when I talked with them, I, I, I can definitely see I drink more than the average person. I'm sure I do, but you were on a whole nother level. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah but when you get sober, everyone can tell you too. That, 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 now they can tell you. Well, yeah. Right. And they would never say that before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because then they lose a but, drinking buddy, you know? <laughs> right exactly it took that them saying it to me for me to really realize that i thought i was drinking just like everybody else and i right. thought i was for the most part okay because i was a high functioning alcoholic i got up and went to work i paid my bills you know yeah. i pay my rent i buy groceries you know I'm, mm -hmm. I'm i work hard whether i have two or three jobs at a time but yeah um i knew i was an alcoholic i just didn't think it was that bad People don't realize that that's, that's not fun. It, it's really, it's, uh, it's sad. It feels bad. And it's hard work. It's a really terrible way to live. And it's hard. It's not easy. Yeah. I think that's, that's something that, like, oh, look at alcoholics and addicts just having a great time. They're out there partying all the time. And the partying ended a long time before I stopped. That, uh, that, that is the 100% truth. It, like, rarely was I out having a good time drinking. It was... 99% of the time get home from work and start drinking and drink till you pass out not go to bed it got to the point in the last three or five years of my career I didn't even have fun when I was out in public drinking like supposed to be having fun because 
I couldn't really drink as much as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I had to hold it together and like not lose, lose it. You know, I didn't want people to look at me like I was an alcoholic, you know? Yeah. That's what drives us inside. You know, that, that's where, that's where the isolation starts. And then, uh, yeah. and then it just uh, snowballs from there. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about a little bit about what your life has been like in the last uh, 500 plus days. So, uh, you know, you, you did, you did meetings, you're doing steps, you got a sponsor, but what about your, your life? So I struggled with in the beginning, I was bored, you know, like I, everything felt boring to me. My, your brain is messed up and the brain chemistry is, is affected by all, all the years of drinking or drugs or whatever, um, that the bar is so high. Like I, I couldn't, the things that I used to find interesting and fun weren't, you know, like, so reading a book, I couldn't read a book. I couldn't read for, for years. And, uh, I was an English teacher <laughs> uh, <laughs> and or watching sports. Uh, once I stopped drinking and, and using cocaine, like I don't care about that stuff anymore. Also the stakes are different. Now I realize what's really important in, in life, but uh, did you have a still any ex experience? Like when you first got sober, were you bored? Did you not know what to do or where to go? Or did you immediately like kind of find a new way to spend your time? Yeah, it's been, you know, I definitely went through the dry drunk stage for a long time where I was, I didn't really do anything different. I just wasn't drinking. I'd come home. I, I mean, I still do that to an extent. I, I think I'm a bit introverted, but I, I'm starting just lately, just the last month or two, realizing that it was the disease that made me introverted. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm that introverted. I think I really do like people and I do like being out doing things. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like switch right away and start working out or join a gym or, but I did lose interest, like playing guitar and writing songs and writing stories and stuff. I that was hand in hand with drinking, and you yeah. know, I, I I wasn't a cocaine guy. All cocaine did was make me drink more, and I already I started doing too it. Much. That's why I started doing it. It's a FOMO thing. Like I, I initially did it because it meant I could, you know, keep the party going longer. I didn't yeah. want to come home when you know, unless I was the last guy there. Yeah. Uh, but then I, I spent a lot of times as the only guy there. I didn't really start smoking pot till late in my twenties, and then it kind of became a hand in hand thing. Like I didn't, I didn't want to smoke so much pot that I was like comatose. I just wanted to smoke pot and have. It made me maybe drink a little bit less, I guess. Right. But yeah, and maybe you fall asleep a little better in the end. You know, the yeah. End or, I don't know. Yeah, but ourselves all know, kinds of reasons. Like, I mean, the truth is, like, it, it, we're self-medicating at that point. It's a it's a delicate balance, you know. You mix it in yeah. all kinds of stuff to make yourself feel a little bit better when it's when you're coming down or when you're going up. And um, you know, there's, there isn't a there isn't a good a good balance. So it's hard to it's hard to find it anyway. It, I had I realized I had to quit it both because yeah, is you know as much as. I would like to think that marijuana makes you more of a thinker and it, it makes you choose dumb things. It makes you dumb. <laughs> I, I know, you know, that a lot of great art uh, has come from, from different drug use and, and, yep. and yep. Some of the greatest writers. And I don't know, I don't know if Hemingway would have been a whole lot better if he wasn't drinking or, or worse. I'm not sure, but uh, it is true that, you know, maybe it expands your mind in some way in that moment or makes you think in a way you wouldn't have thought. Um, but it lowers your inhibitions, right? And for me, I'm an impulsive person, right? So if anything lowers my inhibitions, uh, that's not good for me. So, you know, the, that's what they, you know, they tell you, 
it's all or nothing in most rehab places and most programs it's all or nothing um although i do believe there's some people who who have figured out how to do harm reduction and yeah it, it can be used in a healthy way I, i'm trying you know my kids are uh 14 and 11 you know so one of them's a freshman in, in high school uh oh. so i'm remembering you know that's when i started uh and um you know they know my whole story you know i i I wrote a book <laughs> about it. <laughs> uh, podcast about it. It's all I talk about, but it's because I want them to know that, that I get it. And because I know how this family stuff works and it doesn't mean that they're going to be alcoholics or they're going to be addicts. It means that they're at a greater risk. So they yeah. should be careful. Keep an eye on yourself. Cause you're not just, if everyone else is handling it fine, it doesn't mean you will, you know, cause yeah. Uh, I didn't. And, you know, and there, you know, there's, there's other people at both sides of my family who didn't and whose, whose lives are, you know, were, were greatly affected by it. I know my, my, my dad was telling me that, you know, in one way or another, you know, through high school too, but an adolescent boy's brain isn't uh, taking all that advice in very well, or at least, at least, at least mine wasn't listening to parents very often, regardless. Yeah, definitely. I had to forge my own path. I definitely was some a leader. I, I wanted, I didn't like being told how or what or when. Yeah. And I didn't like doing it my way and never, you know, I, what I realized in sobriety was that I definitely have the, the addiction because when I would get so drunk that I would get sick, it never made me not want to drink. I, yeah. I just made me want to drink better. And normal people that aren't at like alcoholics, they don't think that way. When they right. get sick, they're like, I'm never drinking again. Right. Consequences, <laughs> negative consequences stop people who don't have the disease. So, you know, so right. you do something and it gives a negative consequence, especially if it, if it gives it to you a few times in a row. When I'd have a negative consequence, it would only up my use. Yeah. Because now I have something else to, to, to use about or to drink about. Um, because now I also have some, some guilt and shame or, you don't you don't want to have that and uh, not be able to turn it off and not have that off switch. Yeah. yeah. I I mean I I've had three DUIs total in my life. One 20 years ago and then two in the last four years. And um the first two didn't come close to make me thinking you gotta quit drinking. Yeah. Right. Car like car accidents and yeah, as long as I didn't hurt somebody else, or yeah. really hurt myself too bad, I didn't have a problem. And I, I mean, I, I kind of knew, but I, there's no way I was going to admit to that. I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to stop it, drinking. But you know, it is as it, awful as my consequence. Some of the consequences for my actions were at the at the end there. You know, it's nothing uh, compared to killing somebody or killing myself or hurting my kids. Yeah. So like, I, that's always. And, and there's a million times I escaped from something awful like that happening, and I didn't even, you know, pay it any mind. That's a normal night. Yeah. I mean, in, in 35 years, a 35-year career drinking, I could have literally thousands and thousands of DUIs. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things that one bad one, forget the, the DUI, it's one time where you uh, you didn't uh, get your head, uh, you know, up in time uh, where you hit a tree, you know, and yep. Or, or, or person or another car head on uh you know you're gonna be wishing for a dui you know and just and, the, the times that we strolled over the that center line you know literally or figuratively we were lucky that most of the time there wasn't another car coming at us 
I mean, the the stories that were fun drinking stories that you would share while you were drinking with other drunks are the stories now that want that keep me sober. They're the stories that <laughs> yeah. scare the shit out of me. And like, I cannot drink. I can't believe I kept drinking after that. Like, I can't believe I kept drinking yeah. after all that shit that I did. And I mean, getting away with it wasn't like, oh, cool. I want to go out and get away with more. Drinking almost was a way to not think about the things that I got away with. You know, if you're like a, you're not a sociopath, you know, you know, we know inside what's going on and we know what we got away with. We know how close it was. We know how dangerous it was. And, and you, and you feel terrible about it. Like, oh my God, well, I just risked everything. Why? To get drunk on a Wednesday. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, then you, you know, you drink to that. If you just had make it like, oh, that's just a normal Wednesday, then, then, you know, you don't think about it. Yep. Um, yep. Well, I want to, uh, Get us uh, towards the end here, so that we don't we don't lose uh, lose the whole audience. But I could chat with you. <laughs> well, I guess before before I get into the final two things I like to do on the, on the podcast, uh, what's the what what have you learned, maybe about yourself? What have you learned about yourself? The the biggest thing you've learned about yourself in this process of uh, you know in recovery. The great revelation that I found is that I really am a good person. I do really care about other people. I, I enjoy people being happy. I'm very empathetic. I mm. care about people's feelings and what they've been through. And when I was drinking, I thought that I had to put on a show that I was that way. Oh, and man. like, I was actually angry and depressed and I was a, not a shitty person, but I, 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 I thought that I had to put on a show that I was a good person and that I was mm -hmm. a kind, loving person. And it took getting sober to realize that I just am that way. Yeah, you and, were that way before you started drinking and and you're that way now. And, you know, but when you get far enough into our addiction, uh, you can, you lose that person, you know? Shit, uh, yeah, I, I totally first, lost that. The very first guest I had on the show uh, who I was in rehab with, uh, outpatient rehab here in Chicago with, and she, you know, when she gets sober, she's like a, just a totally different person. And, and, uh, and I've seen someone try so hard at recovery. I asked her, what would you tell like the people who, who love us, like loved ones and, and family members and friends of addicts and alcoholics, what should they know? And she said, like, without, without missing a beat, she said that we are who, who they think we are, that we are that person that they're missing you know, that yeah. we used to be, that we're still in there. Yeah, it's definitely here. It's exactly right. And um, that's what the disease does. That's what that, you know, the gorilla wants to do to you. Like, it doesn't want you to realize that because it doesn't want you to quit drinking. It doesn't yeah. want you to quit your drugs. It it wants to kill you. That's what it wants to do. And, 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 if we do, if we knew how good it would feel, <laughs> just to, maybe not in the first 30 days, but... You know, let's even say a year later, if we knew how good we could feel to be present in the moment and to like notice the feelings. Like I was just about to cry there, talk, saying that. And you know how great, how, how like grateful I am to have that feeling just now, like to be touched by his emotional yeah. moment. Like, you know, you're not all numbed out. Like we're human beings are meant to have these feelings. Like that's what makes yeah. us lucky and separates us from a lot of the other animals in the world is that we yeah. do have these feelings and, and empathy. And it's a terrible thing to waste. 
Yes, exactly right. Let us know what you're something that you've been listening to or watching or, or taking in lately that you recommend uh, to the audience. Oh, I honestly, the more I laugh, the more I can laugh, the better. So I tend to stick with a lot of humor. I just got a new truck. My 500 day birthday present for myself was a new truck. Nice. And I, I willfully admit I would never have gotten a new truck if I hadn't quit drinking. Of course because, <laughs> or yeah, I, I, I've been driving, I drove the same truck, my old truck for 23 fucking years. Yeah. And I, I've needed a new truck for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I find I got a new truck and my old truck was an old, simple truck. It didn't have power windows, wow. didn't have a CD player, didn't have anything. So I got Sirius XM radio in my new truck, which is amazing to me. But uh, I listened a lot to Bruce Springsteen again. Nice. I listened to a lot of Tom Petty. Um, and then what's surprising is I love listening to reggae. I love listening to the Bob Marley channel. Yeah. And it's just, it's such beautiful music about mm -hmm. not just the, the music, but the lyrics and about being together and en good energy and love and all that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, 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 it's a, the guy, I went to lunch with one of my buddies. He's, He's newly sober now, and he's a new friend. It's a weird thing to be this age and have a new friend, but yeah. um, he just, we had lunch today, and we were leaving, and he, he said, hey, man, the, the Whalers are playing in April. Do you want to go? And it's something I would never say yes to. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I stopped going to concerts. Like, like I said, I like to go home, and I used to like to go home and drink, and yeah. I'm like, hell yeah, man definitely get me a ticket for sure that's that's another thing i started like maybe six months into sobriety was like saying yes to everything like that jim carrey movie the yes man yeah, yes just <laughs> say yes to everything people ask you to go do something just say yes and go yeah do if it. it's outside of your comfort zone uh we we now know from doing something that is very uncomfortable uh how much you can learn Yep. Go, exactly. Like somebody wants to, you know, go to see ice capades. <laughs> I'll check it out. <laughs> I don't know. But see, I, I, there's a story there. Heck um, yeah. You never know what you're going to run into when you're around a corner you've never gone around before. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's not like everything's going to be great every time you say yes. You might, you know, you'll, you'll find you like things and dislike things. But for the most part, it's been awesome because I'm opening and going through doors that I never would have even walked past. I don't relish being uncomfortable. I hate it actually, but <laughs> yeah. I'm so much more, I'm more comfortable being uncomfortable. Now. Yeah. Lean into it. I mean, there's, that's the only way you can learn. If you stay where you're comfortable, you never learn anything new. And yeah. uh, the perspective, like the, the, I think maybe the greatest gift of sobriety is, and uh, that I've learned in recovery is just perspective. Like just to, get perspective on everything in, in the world and different perspectives and uh, a new perspective that if I had just stayed in my same direction in the same uh, path that I was on, even without the drugs and alcohol, I was going one path, you know, like I'm living in my own old hometown and going teaching in my old high school is a great place to live and a great place to work. But there's, I certainly wouldn't have had some of the experiences that I've had over the last seven years 
and met some of the people that I've got to meet over the last seven years and experienced some of these great highs and lows. And I see the world in a way that I would have never seen it. And, and I think that's just like, it's something you can't just get from, from traveling somewhere new. Perspectives. I've, I've kind of got, I learned that long ago during my drinking career that, that there's all kinds of perspectives to every single situation, but during my addiction, I would belabor the negative perspectives all the time. And mm-hmm. I got to the point, you know, like they say, where you get this like morbid fascination and you start liking it, the negatives. It's yeah, that's the disease on your back. And I've really learned now that you have to look at multiple perspectives, especially in a situation where you're struggling. No, and you have to be totally present in order to do it and yes. everything. And if you're if you're uh, too stressed or 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 drunk or sick or whatever else is going on in your life, it's really hard to do. And yeah. I think that that addicts and alcoholics in recovery noticed that more because for a long time we didn't we had no perspective on shit. Yeah. What we did it was a negative, false negative, angry, hateful, or whatever. If someone said to me you know change your perspective it was more like fuck you fuck you and change but i like my perspective yeah which is so like are you like like being fucking miserable yeah right where i want to be the whole whole time knowing you're totally full of shit when as you're saying like as i would say it i know i'm full (laughs) of shit but i would say it anyways uh well that's a perfect uh segue into the last part which i like to end finish with gratitude like I try to do every night and then every morning, I think at least one thing that I'm especially grateful for on that day. Sometimes it's a, a big thing. Sometimes it's something small. What are you feeling uh, grateful for today, Mo? Uh, that's, I, I do like the grateful list, you know, the attitude of gratitude. I, I right. end every day with that. When I lay my head down on the pillow, I, I try to reflect on the day and all the things that I'm grateful for, like things that went, easily things that turned out really well simple little things just like a good day of work you know or a phone conversation i have with a friend and i also think of the things that i might have struggled with and you know i ask my higher power you know help me to be better at that you know help me to learn how to handle that better and especially grateful i mean i'm grateful for this podcast with you being on this i'm i'm grateful for this new friend that i made and I'm just, I'm grateful for so much. It's hard to to pinpoint one. I'm so grateful for my new truck. I'm so grateful for all the support and love that I get from my family. I'm grateful that they keep me accountable. I'm I'm grateful that I'm saying yes to to new things and doing things like this podcast. I'm a pretty private person, but once you get me going now in my sobriety and talking honestly and not holding back and not like having to figure out a way to say something so it sounds true even though i know yeah. it's not <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so grateful to just have honesty flow out of me and yes. it's like i don't have to prepare for questions anymore mm-hmm. i can just answer and let it flow out and mm-hmm. and have like a complete confidence that i answered as best as i could and yeah i feel re- I, it's, a, it's i'm so grateful for the relief that i've got yeah and the freedom that has come with sobriety wow they, yeah you say you said that so well you're just grateful for the the, the freedom to and the relief that you feel 
I, I obviously I, I can relate. I know, I know what you mean. Um, but I, I think that today I was thinking right before we got on that, uh, about some similar things to what we were just talking about. But I think today I was, I'm feeling especially grateful for like how present I am in the world, you know, so that, that I can, I feel everything and notice everything. And, uh, like I took my, my one son to the, this will make me think of it. I took my son to the doctor, uh, yesterday or last night. And, um, I was like totally there for him, for whatever he needed, um, to comfort him, to, 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 to make jokes, to, to ask the right questions of the doctor, to listen to what she told me, um, to make good decisions about it and to be like a present person and a father, because I used to tell myself like, well, I was there, you know, I showed up, you know, I didn't miss a whole lot of days of being a dad, but I was there, but I wasn't present, you know, yeah. only, only part of me was. Um, but I thought, well, I was always there. I went to all the games. I, you know, I, I went to conferences. I, you know, I sat with them when they did their homework. But I was thinking about something else. It's an obsession of the mind. And and, and last night's a six thirty doctor's appointment. Not exactly what anyone wants to do um, with their kid. And I was totally there and patient and 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 present in the moment. And I was really grateful for that. Yeah, man. Yep. Uh, all right, man. Uh, that should just about do it. It's, it's been really great talking to you and catching up, Mo. Um, and congrats again on your recovery. It, it's it's a big deal, bigger than than anybody knows. Uh, but I can tell, I can tell how good you feel. Like you just yeah, made man. me feel, just made me feel good <laughs> because like I can I can sense the relief in in everything you're saying and how you're talking and uh, and uh, anyway that makes me happy. So uh, congrats and uh, thanks again for coming out. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm grateful to be asked and I'm grateful to catch up with you, man, because it's so cool to hear you talk about how I would come over and have dinner with you even when Chris <laughs> wasn't even there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys are like, other, you know, our other brothers. Yeah, man, we were we were really tight. And uh, yeah. yeah, well, obviously, we still got a connection, Mo, and uh, and I and I feel it. And uh, I certainly. Uh, so you know, I hope the best for you. That you keep this keep this train going the right direction, and uh, and say hi to your brother for me too. Yeah, I will do that. You tell your brother hi for me as well, and uh, yeah. we'll keep in touch. Or you know, now that we've hooked it back together, you know, for every sure. once in a while, give a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. All right, thanks a lot, Matt. Really appreciate it. Have a great night. First of all, thanks again to Mo for coming on the show today and for being so open and honest about his experience. I definitely learned a thing or two from Mo today. If you too learned something or enjoyed what you heard, uh, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute and it really helps new people find the show. And if you write a review, I might even read it right here on the podcast. And if you would like to help support my effort to destigmatize addiction and to spread positivity and hope, feel free to click the support the podcast link in the episode notes. Also, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast or about my book um, that you would like to share with me, or if you think you might have a story that you'd like to tell right here on the podcast, please feel free to drop me a note at Between the Lines Memoir at gmail.com. Or just spread the word. Tell a friend if you have one. Or if you're short on friends, go tell a whole bunch of strangers. 
But most of all, thanks to each and every one of you for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya.